Okay, so the topic this year is a Zoom meeting for Kaddish specifically. Uh, so we talked, we talked um, yesterday about all the difficulties constructing the idea that you can have a minion for Varmashib and Kedusha generally. And so the question is, right, so the question, can you get to a, um, can you find a way to make Kaddish different? So we're going to spend a lot of time today trying to figure out what, whether the space for creating a different kind of minion for Kaddish. And then at the end, we'll make the argument. You'll see whether it's um, compelling or not. I'm going to say up front that it's, um, to me, it's at best an extreme Shas Tadchak argument. And so in a lot of ways, the, the conversation will depend about to what extent you think it is an extreme Shas Tadchak to allow uh, people to say Kaddish. Uh, we've mentioned other contexts. There are rabbis who are uh, sort of uh, at least seizing the opportunity to fight back against what they, I think, correctly perceive as the, um, the, over, the, the, the extreme focus on, uh, on Kaddish in our culture for, uh, for Avelim, in which Kaddish becomes a, a self-justifying thing as opposed to, a, um, as opposed to an expression of a, of, a, of a deeper religious feeling. And on the other hand, there's no doubt that Kaddish provides a, uh, provides a profound outlet for people in the context of Avelis and the, the notion that you should tell people, but you should get the same thing out of this, even if it's true, which is not necessarily the case, doesn't mean that they can do that offhand. Um, and then the third question is allowing Kaddish Yatom uh, in a Zoom minion runs the risk of depopulating lots of shuls whose weekday minyanim are, are sustained currently by, uh, by Kaddish sayers. So those are all considerations in the background. And to me, uh, because to me, there, there's no question that, that it's not, it's probably not even worth taking the risk of being a Matir Kaddish by a Zoom minion now, if one can't be absolutely confident that that Psaac will not be followed on any, um, by people in ordinary situations. But maybe it's worth taking the risk um, in the existing context, particularly where there are people who, because of the, the quarantine is extending, People who may never, at least you know, during the initial period of Velas, will not get to say a single Kaddish, and I can see how that would be extremely hard for them. Whether or not, you know, we can, I can give them their copy of Leon here, and uh, you know, they can make their own decision about whether the tradition warrants that kind of centrality for Kaddish in the morning process. Okay, so we'll just talk about Minyan generally. So we, I think we ended last year. With a um, with a citation from the Chida in a work called Machazik Bracha, which is his um, commentary, I believe, on the tour, um, and he says that um, if you're standing in the veranda or you're standing in the Ezrat Nashim, so that it's not easy for you to come uh, to descend to the shul or to the I think that must be the chapel again, the Talmud for the Torah, whatever it is, and they're trying, they're making an effort to show their faces. From above, so he thinks in that case you can be some on the Beit David who holds that um, for the purposes of Minyan there can be hate star foot. You can join even you can be even a constitutive me- member of a, um, a of a Minyan if you're visible to if you're visible to the main Minyan. So long as um, so long as right so even even if you're even if you're in different even if you're in different houses. Um, so the um, right, so we t- we talked about last time about how there are weaknesses in it that the there seems to be a muskam position that this wouldn't work across 
Rashut Harabim uh, for one thing, and that I thought that the original source didn't even, right, without even Rashut Harabim, thought it still had to be in the same building complex. But the, um, the, right, the emotional impact of the Machazik Bracha is that he, um, is that he said that um, in the end, right, otherwise you're in 40 days in a quarantine, and if you're in 40 days in a quarantine without Kaddish and Kedusha, that seems a very hard thing to say. So the question is, is there any way of, of really expanding this notion of saying that maybe sight plus maximal effort overcomes distance and maybe the, maybe the, um, the requirements of same house and same Rishud HaRabim are only there because in, under ordinary circumstances, you can't imagine that people are considered to be in any kind of joining if they're separated in that way. But maybe when there's a government regulation against uh, requiring social distancing, maybe, um, right, maybe, maybe you could extend these, these things um, dramatically. Um, the other part of this argument, uh, which was first brought to my attention by uh, Rabbi Ronin Neuert, is this Aruch HaShulchan. The Aruch HaShulchan says, somebody who's standing but there's a window in the back of the shul, but there's a window um, between them. Um, even if the window is very tall, meaning even if the wall of which the window is part is very tall, and even if the window itself is not, um, is not uh, four amot wide, and he shows them his face from there. Um, indication, right, either focusing on his effort or that it's irrelevant whether they see him or not. All he has to do is be visible. counts for 10. Okay, that's the end of the citation of the Beis Yosef. And he quotes it in the name of a, of a this in the Beis Yosef, the name of a Gaon, right, as the Yerach says. And the Yerach adds two interesting lines. He says, So the Beis Yosef must hold, that seeing the face in this matter, that's like seeing the whole body. Okay, that's a very interesting notion. We could parse it, like, why does he, what's the Havamina that you have to see the whole body, right? If we're dealing with, why is sight line any different? Why is sight line, it wants to be dealing with sight line, why does it have to be your whole body? And then we could have all the really fun questions about Minyan generally. If you have to be in the same space, as all of you have to be in the same space? What happens if you have one foot in the shul and one foot out of the shul? We get, that's, that's the question which when it comes to uh, dove, dove chicks, um, whether, whether they're in the boundary that, require, that has them belong to the nearest dove coat or not, gets Rabbi Yirmiya thrown out of the base matter. should be asked, what if it's one foot in the line and one foot out? But we could have the same kind of questions here, right? What happens if a person has one foot inside the shul and, um, and, one, and, and one side out? Um, okay, but let's assume that we can, we can bracket, uh, let's assume we can bracket those questions. Um, okay, right? So, uh, right, so I'm, not sure, I'm not sure where whole body matters in, um, either, but it's his first line. That's not the line that matters to us. The line that matters to us is this. Maybe it's because the, uh, wherever there are 10 Jews sufficient to constitute a quorum, the Shekhinah is present. And the essence of making the, of the, the spreading out of the Shekhinah, whatever you call Hashra'ah is, is on the face. Right? Because Moshe's face right, shown with rays of light. Okay, so that's an astounding line, right? It seems to suggest, right, um, not really the way, right, that the Riyapanim Binyang Zahavikicholaguf doesn't mean, as we would have thought initially, that what you really need is the whole body and the face can serve as a kind of metonymy for the whole body, but really what it means is that the face is what matters. Okay, and if we assume, as we're going to assume for the purpose of this year, that when we say the right, that we say that you 
that you have to, it doesn't mean, as you could be read in some of the sources, that it means you have to actually stick your face into the window so your face is within the boundaries of the synagogue space, even though the rest of you isn't. And if your face is there and it's seen it's enough, but then all, all we require is the visualization of the face. So then we could say, if the purpose of Minyan is to daven in a space where the, shekhin, where the Shekhinah is present, and if a face is sufficient to make the, uh, to make the, um, to make the, right, to bring the Shekhinah, so then if, right, so then if the seeing the face by means of Zoom is equivalent to seeing the face in real life, so um, we are home free. Okay, and then right, the Yerach HaShulchan seems to endorse the um, Chidaz principle. He says there's some people who wrote that even though Aliyot, even though uh, second stories don't, right, people standing in the second story don't count as together with people who are standing on the ground floor in the house. If there aren't, between you and the balcony, there aren't there aren't solid walls, let's say. But rather, there are pillars. So they're not effective sight barrier. And it's hard for them to go down. Right? So the Choshulchan endorses the position, it seems, that what you require for Minyan is face plus a reasonable explanation for your, right, for your having failed to actually be in the same physical space. Some people object to this, but Bishas Right, and there's our magic words. We like that, right? Because right? we're looking for a term that only works. But then he says the following. However, the people standing in the Ezrat Nashim, which as we're assuming in that case is a wholly separate space, maybe with, maybe, you know, maybe it's dealing with a space where there's a wholly separate space or even building, if you look at European synagogues, with a sound chamber, but no sight chamber. They don't, they don't count together. Right? If there are men standing in the Ezrat Nashim, they don't count together with the men standing in the um, in the main synagogue for um, for, for Minyan, and he said that, but that's true. Uh oh, even if there are windows and they can see each other, since these are real, and I think about mechitzah, he's not talking halachically because halachically the others are mechitzahs also. But since these are real separations, right? They're intended as barriers. They're not structural things designed to designed to hold, right, hold up the ceiling, which happened to come down to the floor, they're, in, right, they're intentional barriers designed to carve out separate spaces. So then they're separately to Rishiyot. It's not similar to somebody standing um, in the alley behind Shul, who is included by, uh, by seeing his face. Because there, he's not standing in a separate space. But he's standing is in an open space. So the, the open space, we can say, okay, you're, what we're going to say is that you're, you're as if, in the open space is as if you're part of the annex to the shul. But not if you're standing in an independent house. Now, we, of course, are standing in our own separate houses, and there are walls and a Rashid Harabim um, uh, between, uh, I imagine almost all of us, Rashid Rabin directed probably uh, between many of us. Um, so probably, probably uh, it's really, really hard to extend the Aruch HaShulchan, um, to extend the Aruch HaShulchan in this, in this context. 
And I argued last time that even the Machazik Bracha only allows the extension to when there are six and four, but not when they're each scattered and there's no central core to which, right? He, I think he, he understands there to be a central, and the Gemara understands there to be a central core of between, which can be either you can set the threshold at nine or you can set the threshold at six that have to be in a single space to which then people can be mistarif to the 10 and then the standards are much lower to be mistarif to more than the, uh, to more than the 10. But, um, but maybe, maybe there's a way in which coupled with a different definition of what it takes to bring a minion, maybe you could extend this to say enough, if you believed that uh, site by Zoom is actually considered um, considered Zoom. So I'm gonna we take us on a moment for now. Let's assume that there that you could find a way to uh, to do it. Let's examine the question of whether site by Zoom actually counts by site, right? Is it plausible to us that um, that if we say the ikar shchina he is alapanim that collecting ten um, collecting ten um, ten men who can see each other uh, on a screen, will that be enough for Hashra Shechina? So let's talk about what, what evidence we have about, um, about screens. So there are three Gemara, two, right? Really two Gemaras that matter that set out three cases. So on Brachos Chafeim at Beis, um, Rava says, at Tzoa Bashashit, if you have an excrement under glass, Mutar Likrot Kriyat Shema Kinegda. You can read Kriyat Shema um, in its direction. But if you have something that is considered to be, uh, let's say, genitalia, right, which are being blocked from you by a, um, by a, by a sheet of glass, then you're not allowed to read uh, in its, um, in its uh, opposite. Okay, so Gemara says, what's the difference between these two cases? It's so a bashashit, you can read Kriyachma. It's so a bekisuitalia Because in general, by so the issue is not its presence. The issue is whether it's covered or not, and this is covered even though it's not covered visually. Erva bashashit, because there the issue is not whether it's covered, the issue is whether it's seen. And it is, um, it is visible. Okay, so he's not, it doesn't seem to frame it as whether it has a, whether, whether it'll generate inappropriate thoughts, but just but this is the objective question, right? Whether you can read Kriyachma in the presence of genitalia, whether or not they have an impact on you. Uh, and the answer is they cannot be seen. So that seems to suggest that here they are being seen. And the simple implication of that is that the simple, simplest reading of this Gemara to me is that Tsewa does not depend on sight. And since it does not depend on sight, therefore it's irrelevant for our discussion. Um, whereas Erva does depend on sight and is considered sight, you're seeing it. So if you're seeing, right, that seems to suggest that seeing through whatever is called inasha sheet, inasha sheet, I think is, uh, well, we'll have to figure out what inasha sheet is. Let's, let's, leave, let's leave it at that. Whatever inasha sheet is, which is plainly not the same thing as seeing something either dire- right, directly without an intermediary, that does count as seeing. Okay, then there's another um, another Gemara, right? Uh, the Gemara says, Tanarabanan. Renew Bamayim, if we saw the new moon in the water, Renew Bashashit, or we saw it in Ashashit, Renew Ba'avim, and we saw it um, we saw it in the clouds, Ain Me'idna Lav, then you, they can't testify about the new moon. Similarly, if they saw half of the new moon in the water, half of the new moon in the clouds, half of the new moon in whatever Ashashit is, you can't testify about it. 
the Gemara says, okay, who, wait, since you, uh, you said that, um, that you can't see half of it in the water, so why do I need to tell you? What, why is the first line necessary where it says if I saw it in the water? The Gemara says, uh, that what it means is what happens if I see it half and half? Right? So the first case is where I see it wholly in the water, and the second case is where I see it half in the sky and half in the water. Nonetheless, it's not good enough. Okay. Um, so that seems to suggest that seeing the new moon in the water or nasha sheet is not considered sufficient seeing for the purposes of testimony. Right? So by, by erva, it satisfies the biblical requirement of your erva davar, and by kiddush tachodesh, it doesn't satisfy whatever requirement of seeing we have. Okay, why not? So we'll start by giving you Rabbi Nechanel. Rabbi Nechanel says, we knew about Mayim, we saw it in the water. Pirish, are you Mayim Lefanav? There's water in front of you. And you saw the image of the moon. But even though you see the image of the moon in the water, when you raise your eyes to heaven, it's not there anymore. Or if you see half of it. And I'm not sure how to read this word, but I think it means uh, I'm not really, really not sure what that word, what that word means. I should have looked it up, and I apologize. But you have to see it. Right? You have to see it in the. You have to see it in the sky. Um, okay, so the simplest way you could read the Benichanel saying that he picks his head up, but it's not there, and therefore he didn't see it well enough. But I think the simplest read Benichanel is that we doubt whether you really saw it. Right? or whether what you saw was really the shadow of the moon, because if you see the shadow of something in the water, and then you pick your heads up and it's not there, so it's true, right? it could be that in the moment between you look down and the, and the moment you looked up, that there was suddenly cloud cover over the moon. But the other, the other explanation is that you saw something which wasn't actually the moon, right? which would seem to suggest that if you could see it in a circumstance where it was obvious to you that what you saw was the moon, there's no other, there's no other possibility, then it would be fine. Okay, so maybe that's true. Just, yes? Just to clarify in the case when you were and so what's the alternative there that we're worried you made a mistake about? Uh, that's a good question. If you see it half in the if you see it half in the sky and half in the water, what mistake would you be making? That's a very good question. Um, that's a very good question. What mistake would you be making? Um, That's a very good question. What would you, uh, the question? What are we looking for? Right, if you see half in the sky, what's it, what does it mean to see half in the sky? Right, why isn't what you see in the sky sufficient? Um, so the question where I, I imagine the issue is that we're dealing with a time when we're questioning the witnesses to see whether what they saw was actually the moon. We're investigating, right? We're right, and we do that with Rabbi Gamliel's thing by showing them various shapes. And so if you see half in the water and half in the sky, then we don't know what shape you really saw. I think, does that make sense? Okay. Would half in the sky and half in the water mean that it's on the horizon? Uh, it sounds like it, right? That sounds like the simplest explanation of the, of the case. Is, um, I, I wondered about that as well. It does sound like that's, that's the only way you could do that, right? It's like, as if the two parts, um, the two parts meet. Um, right. But that means that you sound like that. But that would mean that you're only actually seeing half of it, and you're seeing the same saw the same part of the moon directly and reflected in the water. You're not actually seeing the entire thing. 
Um, yeah, yeah. The truth is that you're that you're both right, and I don't have a good grasp of the case because um, it doesn't. You know, it's very hard to imagine a case where that could be. You're right that it's you know the, in that case what you really saw is a reflection. It's obvious why it's puzzle, uh, right? Yeah. Because you're because right, you're you, you think you're seeing the full shape, but really you're just seeing the half shape double. Those are really good questions. I don't have good enough answers for them. Um, um, do you have better answers? By all means, either say them now or or, uh, or chat them. Yes, all right. Can I say something? Um, could it be that maybe you see uh, half of it uh, through a window, and then the window is blocking the other half of the moon? Uh, and then you're still able to see the other half of the moon in the water. I guess you could construct an artificial horizon, right? It's basically what you're doing. Uh, I guess. It sounds like a very elaborate case. Uh, and half in the clouds and half right, is also very, like, what does it mean to see it half in the clouds? It really means there's you're seeing half of it through the clouds, right? Not half of it in the clouds. So what the parallel is, right? I guess you know, the underlying tension that we have to, right, that we have to um, address here is whether, right, which I, I wasn't going to raise till now, is whether we're dealing with obstructions or reflections. And so water is obviously a reflection. Clouds is harder to think of as a reflection, although I mean you can see things, but you don't usually see things above the clouds reflected in the clouds. Um, so that's a very that's a, I guess you could bounce it off the earth and right odd. Did they, did they have um, drinking glasses that would have been clear enough to see through? See through. I don't know that in the time of the Gemara, they, they probably didn't have really clear glass at all. No. Right? They have, they have this polished there, metal. There, there was Roman glass that you could see light through. Undistorted? Uh, undistorted, no, but you could definitely see, you know, see yeah. through it. Right, you had you had translucent glass, but transparent glass. All right. So the the only way I can think of seeing it through the water with it not being a reflection would be seeing it through a glass of water. Yeah, I don't. I don't. That's very clever. That's very very clever. Um, I don't think so. Um, I also don't know if their concept of reflection as opposed to direct seeing is the same as ours. Um, right, that's also, that's also, right, we're going to see in a moment, right, that the, the, you know, when the question comes up with eyeglasses, what are you seeing with eyeglasses? Um, so that's a, um, that's a fair question as well. Okay, I'm going to, Say for the moment that you know that that uh, you got me, uh, and I you know and uh, I will try to research. And, and those of you who are not in the, who are not currently giving this year are welcome to do uh, to do internet research at the same time and see right, the two things. The, the word kafdal vavresh nun hey is my fault, um, but uh, that's clear. And this I'm open to all suggestions, and we'll see how much it affects the ongoing uh, the ongoing discussion. Um, okay, so there are three. There are three chuvot of halachuk tanot. So now we're in uh, 15th century Turkey, I think, um, dealing with questions of vision. Um, three chuvot dealing with more than three questions. So question number one is, what happens if uh, if a tipat shava, if a uh, a drop of wax falls on a sefer Torah? So now that you have a uh, semi-transparent um, 
semi-transparent membrane um, over the Sefer Torah, but the but but the, the letters are still visible. So, what's the halach in that case? Is that considered reading? And And can you read a Sefer Torah when you're wearing uh, when you're wearing spectacles? So Chuva, his answer is Now he has clear glass, right? Obviously he has eyeglasses. So seeing via glass is definitely seeing. Right? It's like we saw the case of Erva in an Ashashit, but we don't know yet whether an Ashashit is um, a mirror or a um, or a um, or a clear glass or something you see through. It sounds like Pshat in the Gemara is most likely that you see through. Um, Vahid, right? Then he quotes another case um, where that is not um, that is not in any way the um, that where it's not anyway relevant. But there are other kinds of uh, seeing that work, right? But that's not a that's not a relevant question. Okay. Second question he asks is: If you see the face of an elder in Ashashit, right? Do you um, do you have to stand? The answer is: Right. That's a good right. It's It's really it's a good saying. You have to. But here he asks, right here he asks an interesting, uh, interesting question. He says, but you'll tell me that's wrong from Tzoa Bashashit, where the Torah is tolet by Kisoy. That seems to prove that it's not a good Re'iyah. Right? So he says it's possible that we can explain away the case of Tzoa by saying that since it's covered, therefore it has no smell, and really the whole... The whole issue by the whole issue by Tzoa is it doesn't matter whether it's seen or not. But that nonetheless, even though uh, even though seeing Tzoa doesn't still count as seeing because right, but um, but everywhere else it does. So he says that there's a pasuk which says that Moshe sees right or right not Moshe, it's Moshe no it's Yeshaya probably right sorry my fault again and he sees him through an aspaklaria. So we translate aspaklaria as speculum that doesn't tell us what the mechanics. Of a what the mechanics of a speculum are. Okay, so the um, so again he seems to, his 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 attempt to disprove his attempt to disprove from Sabah Shashit uh, drives his son um, to write the note that hang on you know you better look at Rosh Hashanah because I don't understand what Sabah I think he says, I don't understand what Sabah Shashit is doing here he has a very peculiar read of of that Gemara which I think doesn't matter to us now. But the end of the day, he thinks that right that it's good see, that seeing right. His first thing tells you that from Erva we see that seeing through glass is seeing, just like seeing Menashashit is seeing, and so too seeing through an aspaklaria is seeing for at least two purposes. One is for the purposes, three purposes: reading a Sefer Torah, uh, Kriyatshma in front of an er, in, in front of an Erva, and um, Vadarta Vadarta Pnezake. Okay. Then his last case is. Uh, Edim who saw who saw an over avera ready to see an avera, betoch mashin it's tired be maresh shel zechuchit levana. Okay, so here whatever you think an uh, aspaklaria is, you think ashashit is. Here he tells you that there's no question we're dealing with a reflection. Okay, mashin it's tired be maresh shel zechuchit. So witnesses see a crime in a mirror, right, uh, of white of white glass. Vikira kol beferish, but the mirror doesn't distort, so they see everything explicitly. Maha was about that. The answer is Sa Yesh Lavarazem Ahuda Kirishakhodesh Miksasa Virakia Ubiksasa Bamayan. 
Okay, so here he doesn't quote Erev Bashashit. He quotes the Gemara Rosh Hashanah. And the simplest reading of quoting the Gemara Rosh Hashanah is that the Gemara Rosh Hashanah, not, right, it doesn't count. So here too, he thinks it doesn't count, which means he's drawing a distinction between things that require a dut, require testimony, and the two other cases, whether Vedarta Pnei Zakein and um, Erva Bashashit, um, or for that matter, Soa Bashashit, where he thinks if it depended on, right? So, right, and he doesn't, he doesn't seem, so now the question is, but we could also say, no, the distinction isn't between Edus and other types of halachos. The distinction is that here it's a mirror, and what happens in Kiddush HaKodesh is a mirror, whereas the case of Erva and Soa are dealing with, um, vision, with vision through the glass. Right, so at least we have we have at least two options open in, under, in order to understand the distinctions within the halachok tanot. You can have your own relationship to what you think the sefer halachok tanot is. I know my daughter is Pramachla, she is a huge fan of the halachok tanot, um, but uh, not everybody historically has been a huge fan. He's incredibly wild and creative, and you know, the truth that I usually teach of his is the one about cooking over volcanoes, in which you see that he consults. Um, scientists, but the scientists he consults appear to be very eclectic, uh, since they tell him things that even historians of science now can't unearth. Okay, so what do we make of these? So the primary source I wanted to do with you uh, today is the Mishpatei uh, Uziel, that's Rev Benzin Uziel, who I'm sure right, you know was the Svarti chief rabbi of Israel. Uh, Reveal occupies, I think, an interesting position in Halakha. In his lifetime, I think he was, unque- he was unquestionably a giant. Um, when the, uh, the recent tshuva of the Moroccan rabbis about the uh, Chazum Sidon came out, so one of the rabbis afterwards, when, you know, when all the, went after lots of other people were withdrawn, wrote a, uh, wrote a tshuva defending himself, which he basically said, who are you people who are attacking this tshuva to challenge the incredible, you know, who know there has been no one like him to this day, Rav Uziel. And I think that there are portions of the Sephardi community in which that is uh, still the case. Um, I know the YU that I went to, it may not be the same now. Chravazil uh, was not really seen as so much uh, as a major figure halachically. So there were a number of positions that I uh, dug up from him that I had to fight. You know, and I, fought, and I tried very hard to make him part of the discussion again. Um, like every post-sake, he has positions that are perhaps forgettable and positions that it would be amazing if we could uh, reclaim them. So I thought one of the reasons I wanted to wanted to structure this year this way is I wanted to have the opportunity for those of you who may have not to see Rebazil in action, and you may see uh, both what made him great and also why in certain contexts he may not have been everyone's favorite posting. Okay, so here's what it says: right? What about um, visual testimony on the basis of a mare? Okay. So, so he quotes the Lachlitanos about right that we saw, and he tells you he's quoting right he's quoting the Gemara which we saw. So he says Haresha filim ruube nehem gufal vanach chesio berakia vechesio b'mayim obashashit emid naleha. Okay, if even if they saw now what what it means to see the gufal vanach if part of it is in the water I don't know but that's the language he uses. Now he says ve'ain sarich lomar so you don't even have to bother to say. That if they saw all of it in a, in a mirror, or let's say in a mirror, whatever mirror is, you cannot give testimony through this. And the Gemara goes on uh, later on and says, if we, if we saw it accidentally and then we looked and we looked to see it deliberately, we didn't see it, you can't testify about it. 
The Gemara says because maybe what they saw was something else and they imagined it was it was an illusion. So he tells you that the Pashup shot of that sugya, I mean Rahita the sugya, right? You're just running through the sugya, what you would think is that it's only um, right that the, the rationale that you might have been misled applies only to things which they saw by themselves. But in terms of the water, um, right, that's not because we're afraid that they imagined it, but it's because right, Ella Mishum Right, so he invents a new category. seems to me to mean something like right, our constructed vision, as opposed to direct vision. Okay, but then he tells you that there's a there's a right, anonymous parish right, that um, the earliest parish that says that that's not the case. That um, that it sounds like the reason for both cases is that. Right, as we read Rabbi Nechanel, that it might be, or at least I read Rabbi Nechanel, that it might be um, an illusion. And therefore, um, right, and, the, um, and that seems to suggest, the Paris says, right, that it's only said about the moon at the beginning, right, the beginning of his time. So he says, if you can find a way to get rid of the uncertainty, then that would be, right, that would be enough. But in the end, the parish says, right. We don't know which is worse, right? But on the one hand, you have to see it, right? Right? You have to, right? On the other hand, maybe you make a brachal batala if you get it right, if you got it wrong. Okay. So he says that it's, um, but his fundamental idea is of the of this parish is that the reason that seeing it in the water is invalid is because you might get it wrong, but the Ravaziel's own conclusion is when the Gemara the Gemara doesn't cite this rationale of kuvisa de eva to explain the um, to explain the halacha about the water and the ashashit. Right, so um, right, so Vazil says, right, that bottom line, what he believes is that there is no edus, right? Edus requires sight, and you cannot have sight when it is considered siurit. Okay, that raises you know a secondary question: What is the definition um, of siurit? Okay, so here he has a distinction now. So he comes along, and he says. Um, okay, so Mizayot uh, say from here it, it turns out the Choldin Edus that for all purposes of testimony, if people saw the Tsiur of things as opposed to their actuality, you cannot satisfy the the biblical obligation of sight. By what he calls right, if you see if you see the tsiur, I have to be very careful, right? Because what yeah, you read, right, could right could include ways to artificially enhance the eye, as well as ways to artificially produce the thing you're seeing. So he says that right. So here he moves from claiming that the artificiality is in the act of seeing to claim that the artificiality is in the object of sight. Tsiuram shold varim lo mamashutam. Right. So the and he says the pasuk. Who aid o ra'ah means shemuvano ri'yama mashit flo ri'yat 
And this, he says, is not like what Halachic Tanah wrote, where it said that that seeing through clear glass is considered Riyah. Right? So here he has his, right, his sophisticated notion. He says that seeing through glass is still seeing the original object of sight. But seeing a reflection is to read flow mamashit. So that right, and that's where Ravazil, uh, that's where Ravazil, you know, stakes his claim. Right, he claims that fundamentally, that in the process of testimony, what you require is something that is halakhically called sight, and sight requires direct sight as opposed to reflected sight. It has nothing to do with clarity. It has to do with right, It has to do with direct versus. Um, Versus, uh, versus indirect. And then he tells you, if you're going to be astonished, saying, what difference does it make if it's perfectly clear, right? What's the difference between actual sight and sight in a perfectly clear uh, image, uh, image of it, which leaves no doubt after all? So he says, look, we invalidate blind people for testimony, even if they recognize a voice. Right? You have to be able to see, right? Even though you can have circumstances that are just as certain. So therefore he says that there's a biblical notion that the word ra'ah in the pasuk um, re- invalidates reflected seeing. Okay, so here we have I think a, a uh, right, he doesn't deal with erva bashashit in, um, in this context, but I think he would say uh, one of two things, either that that ashashit is talking about seeing through as opposed to seeing a reflection or alternatively now he has a harder time alternatively because the said so if you take that pasuk seriously, it would be hard. So Pashtus, he has to think that Ashashit there, you see it through a um, through a glass as opposed to as opposed to reflection. You have to decide which is more likely Pshat and the Gemara. Okay, I want to go through a second Chuvah of Ravazil and then um, then take questions. So this is a letter <coughs> written to um, Ravavadio, written to, written to Ravavadio Yosef, um, and. Uh, about the um, by an electric light. And one of the things that he gets, which I think I, I hadn't noticed earlier, is one of the questions, electric lights are in bulbs. So they're inside glass. So whatever you think about the light itself, maybe it's possible because all you can see, you can only see it through glass as opposed to directly. And he is not at this stage, I believe, proposing the distinction that becomes, I think, important to us in terms of... Um, hearing aids, right, where we want to distinguish in hearing aids and microphones by claiming that perhaps the hearing aids are extensions of the ear. So you might argue that even though your glasses are extensions of your eyes, the bulb of uh, electric light is not. He doesn't make that distinction, I don't believe. Okay, so um, so he wrote about this, and Kravadia uh, said, this doesn't make any sense, because Shimpesha is out in the out in the light, and so Ravadia Right, Haradia says this isn't the light of Adam Rishon, not a question of seeing, it's just not the same light. So he says, right, so Zil says, Right, so after all his sweet gestures of Adia, I think that they were close. He said, This is ridiculous because if you really want to make it just like Adam Rishon's first fire, then you should have to produce the fire by banging rocks against each other. Obviously, not the, obviously not the same. Right? That, doesn't make, that doesn't make any sense at all. So he gets rid of. Uh, he gets rid of of, uh, of that shot entirely. Okay. Um, 
Okay, it says Shuvai Shuvai said on Tivira Benim Goni Dorchadashim Orcha Ish Lesur Dirkata Ner Lora Kashmal Mishum Shazhuchit Machehor. Other people claim right, other people claim that it's because it um because it diminishes the light. And that's why you can't make a brachan and ashashit, which here has to mean a piece of metal polished to uh piece of his puddle but polished to glowing. Okay, the Gemara says you can make a the Yerushalmi says you can make a bracha on a piece of metal polished to glowing, but near pens or aspaklaria, right? So now he has three other cases. You have a near in your right, um, hidden in right in your clothes, I guess, or inside a pence or a penis, whatever that is, or an aspaklaria. If you see the flame but you can't, um, but you can't use the light, or if you can use the light but you can't see the flame. You can't make the bracha, says Yerushalmi, until you can do both. You both see the flame, and you can um, and you can use the light. Okay, kill right. Um, okay, so in, now Rashi explains that Nashashit is a lantern, um, whatever that may be, whatever lantern means in our context. Meaning, he says, ah, what does it mean? It means a glass barrier, or a very a very uh, thin. Um, parchment barrier that is translucent but not uh, but not but not transparent. Okay, what it means that it's separate. You it's separating between you. And maybe he even thinks it's transparent, right? That it's separating you from the light, but the light is still seen. But in other places, Rashi explains that an ashashit is a large cup that you call a lampa, or presumably a lamp as opposed to a lantern. Okay, now what about aspaklaria? So Ra- so the Ramam explains this is something that you make in order to see behind you. Okay, um, and he has other languages, right? Other languages that is made out of something um, sapphireish, um, and therefore the Ramah says, "Dochein liyirel shir amiti." Right? It's right. It you see the image, but the image is not the same size as the uh, as the original. But the Rash explains that what it means is a mirror. Okay, um, whereas the Aruch says it means some kind of clear clear glass quartz, I guess that you use it. They use in place of windows. So he claims uh, that all of these, uh, all of these perishim have a single meaning. Kilamar, what they all mean is you're not seeing the actual thing in its actual dimensions. What you're seeing is a shadow. The way we see things in clear water or a mirror. Um, or or uvehira. Uh, I'm not sure what he means by uh, I'm not sure what he means by that. Um, okay, um, so right here you get I think what is both the um, both the greatness and the uh, and the thing that can drive you crazy about Rebbezil that he claims that everybody says the same thing even though they're clearly saying very different things um, and his readings are sometimes. Uh, somewhat stretched. Uh, at the same time, the underlying clarity is really, right, is, re- is really strong. So he says, right, in the end, his uh, conclusion is, in Ashashit and Aspeklaria are completely different ideas. You can make a bracha on Ashashit, but not in Aspeklaria. Why? Because an Ashashit is something that lets you see the light directly. It's just an obstruction, um, right? Because seeing through something that is transparent is called seeing. But in Aspeklaria, which is some kind of device involving mirrors, um, you can't make a bracham because you don't see the actual thing. So now he now says this about, um, right, so here, he extends this from Edus, 
um, extend this from Edus to the context of um, to the to the con to the context of um, of seeing the Abdullah candle, which is not uh, which is not which is not obvious. And then he tells you right at the end, he says, "Look, you know, according to what you're suggesting, right? You're going to tell me if you think that seeing through glass is not considered seeing, you're going to tell me that people cannot read Torah, right? Who can't read Torah without glasses are blind? That's ridiculous, right? So you get Rav Zil again. There, right? things have to make sense. Doesn't make sense. He's not right. His his halacha is uh, down to earth in that way." So therefore, right, therefore, if you can see through glasses, he argues, therefore, if the normal way of seeing electric light is through bulbs, then there's no way you can claim that you're not seeing the light through the, um, through, or through the bulb, right? Lofisa means barrier. Shalinin birkata nermi badlas chuchit. Kigona dam shukhovesh mishkafayim. Okay, there's no difference between electric light and, um, and, uh, and seeing through glasses. Okay. Um, okay, but then he has, he has one last uh, one last thing where he says that um, what happens right, what, can you, right, um, about, uh, about electric light and he says electric light is an odd thing even if a Jew lit the electricity or let this light on Shabbos um, electric light is not the same as regular Shabbos rather electric light is produced by a constant Rechanging, uh, rechanging currents. Currents. You can make a bracha on it. Uh, you can make a bracha on it even if a Jew lit it on Shabbos. Okay. Other contexts that people bring up are the question of whether if you see the you see the king on television, right? So the Batsil Bachachma deals with the uh, deals with that question. He makes another distinction, which I think is very sensible. He says that when it comes to edus, right? Chazal required right? Chazal right? Chazal made a requirement. There's a tournament requirement of seeing. But the other context where what the Torah requires, what, what halakha means by seeing, is just you have to know. In any case, you just have to know. So it seems to him that, that what matters is the odds and not the um, and not the um, not the um, not the actual technicality of seeing. But then he has a third halacha. So the third halacha is experience, and that's where we're seeing the king comes in. Right? So seeing the king, with the king comes in, he says. Even if you're absolutely certain you saw the king, but um, right, it's obvious. Right, even but even blind people can make a bracha on the king if there's a stir surrounding you that makes it right that makes it clear the king is passing. But if you see the king, but there's no associated experience, you're watching the king on television, right? So he says that makes no sense. That you should make the bracha. Right, so you see the king in a mirror, but you're not actually experiencing the king because the king is a long way off and there's no ripple in the air in the crowd. Right, so now we have three different, um, three, right, three different categories. We have places where the Torah explicitly requires something called re'iyah. We have places where all that is required is the kind of certain knowledge that is usually gained by witnessing. And then there's a case where seeing is part of an overall experience. And now he says, And now, when I'm printing, So two chaburos for benching that see each other through a mirror, and that was the case I kept asking people to find me, 
right? So the Petach Vir allegedly says, I have trouble finding things in, or, or in the Petach Vir, um, says if you see each other through a mirror, then you don't count. So what he tells you is that the, um, that the Hitzdarfus, the, the joining together of the group for benching is part of the experiential category of seeing as opposed to part of the certainty aspect of seeing or part of a technical requirement of um, requirement of seeing. And I think that's a very um, compelling shot. So it seems to me that even if you were to buy the, you know, to buy into the notion that the Aruch HaShulchan plus the Machazik Bracha means that you can construct a minion by seeing um, plus effort, that seeing still has to be one that involves an experience in some way of the person. And I can't, I can't see seeing by a screen uh, as being sufficient for that. Um, it's a wholly different experience than, um, being, than being in someone's presence. Um, you know, for one thing, you can't see the whole body, right? It's not like the rest of the body is covered. You know, it's just the, the body just gets cut off. There's nothing visually blocking you from seeing the body. Right, the, right, the the body could fit on the entire screen, or you could say, right, you know, it's just it seems to be utterly implausible that you can view seeing by um, by screen to be the same thing. So if you think that uh, if you think that what's required is technical seeing, so then um, I think that Ravazil has a strong objection that technical seeing requires the you see the light rays emitting from the person and the translation to electronics would not work. Um, although, um, although the um, the the says thinks to think that that's not um, that's not necessarily the case. Maybe size like Ramosha, right? That as long as it's a direct result, maybe. I think that's one argument. And the deeper argument, I think, is that seeing is not the totality of experience. And so, while I hate to speculate about what God does, it seems to be unlikely that the Shechina is shora on electronic projections of people as opposed to their actual faces, that seems to cheapen um, the notion. Okay, now who did say that you could make uh, Kaddish? So there's a wild line in Rav Melamed. Rav Melamed, after telling you in line one that you can't have a minion by Zoom for Dvarnash HaBikdusha, and telling you in section five that uh, you can't say that you'd give them a dot in a, um, in a, vir- in a virtual minion unless you lane them, which means you could say them biachit, he has this wild line, he says, Bish and this is a wild line, like a minyan. So what does that mean, like a minyan? Um, so Rabbi Benny Lau has a beautiful exposition of this, which he says the language of, the language of religion is different than the language of halacha. What Rabbi Malamid means is there is no halachic significance to this whatsoever. But at the same time, he understands that you don't get the experience of saying Kaddish if you say it alone. He thinks that saying Kaddish alone is not a brachalavatala, and therefore, okay, if you want, if you want to have a Zoom group while you say Kaddish alone, and that gives you something resembling the experience without the halachic content of saying Kaddish in a minion, even though really your Kaddish doesn't count because there's no minion, but at least it's not usher and you feel better, okay. And you know, Brelau is fudging the question of whether uh, religious experience is supposed to be constituted by halacha, which is something the Rav sometimes argued or whether halacha just tries to capture religious experience and then add something in it. 
Um, so the question is, what's his basis for saying that Kaddish Biachid is not a bracha levatala? So the um, the Pinei Halacha quotes a work called the Eishel Avraham, not the Primagadim, who says Sheshar lo Sif lamar harbei Kaddishim. You can say as many Kaddishes as you want, just like you can say the Gilaminos as often as you want that you say in Slichos. The Kevan she'ena bekaddish shem shemayim ain kan kaddish levatala. Since there's no there's no shem shemayim in kaddish, there's no kaddish levatala. The implication of this seems to be that you could really say Kaddish over and over again all day. That's a very odd thing, since you know, I think everyone's presumption walking in is that you can't say Kaddish Biachid just like you can't say Kedusha or anything else. There is a Kiddush, right? Since it has no Shem Shemayim, so Kaddish is different than all the other Dvarim Shebe Kedusha. Okay, the actual language of Yishlav Ram is Mikol Shekhen Kaddish Ein Bo Shum Haskara so what the he's really talking about is what we call a bracha sricha. It's a right saying a bracha when all the technical requirements of saying the bracha are met, but you could have structured it so you need to say fewer bracha. Right, so taking a, you eat uh, right you eat you take a bite of an apple. You, you say a bar you take a bite of the apple, then you say a bar then you say Bari Prayets again, take another bite of the apple. So that's called a brachash in a and it's using God's name unnecessarily. That seems to me entirely different than the notion of using in, in a formally invalid context. That's like saying a Bari Prayets when there's no apple there at all. And just because we say that in terms of saying Kaddish, because there's no, right, Kalvachomer, right, because there's no Askara and no Shemesh and Nimchak, so Kalvachomer from your Gibel Midos, as long as you create the proper ritual envelope. We don't care how, we don't care how many times you say it. You don't have to minimize the number, but um, I don't see any basis and I can't find any basis for saying that saying Kaddish B'yachid is not a violation of saying Dvarim Shavikdusha outside the context. Why uh, sh- Yeah? Why should our baseline presumption be that there is an Isser? What exactly is the prohibition of saying, would we assume of saying Varim Shemikdusha not in their context? Where would we see one? Well, we see it by the Yigid Lamidos, where everybody tells you that it's forbidden to say them unless you, unless, unless you, um, unless you lay in them. Well, but that, if nothing else, is a din in, at least in part, I thought, Kol Pasuk de Lo Pasuk Moshe Rabbeinu Lo Pasina. You need the Rishos of Tzibor to take, uh, because we stop in the middle of the second Pasuk. There, at a minimum, you have that problem. Uh, I don't think that's how I read it. And there are, I didn't quote it, this. People say it explicitly by, we say the same issue by, you know, by Kedusha de Sidra, right? Where the only excuse for, for saying Kaddish and Uval or for that matter, Birkas Priyashma, is because we say them as part of, a, of, the, of the biblical context and we're not saying them independently. Right, uh, so. I'll note that also by Kedusha de Sidra, you have problems of Anan Lo Paskinan, in other words, dividing up Sukkim that are meant to be unitary. Yeah, but I don't think so. that's how it's framed. I don't think Rabbi Malamid makes that claim either. Uh, I don't think so. Okay, I, I'm open to I'm open to being convinced otherwise. Rabbi Malamid says it, and I I hesitate to say that Rabbi Malamid made a mistake. You know, I, well, but if nothing hesitate. else, let's back up. In other words, what exactly would the prohibition be of saying kedusha without a minion? It would be you know say you know using utilizing something inappropriately, right? You know this is like you know it's like meila. Where in where in the Torah does it say that I can't utilize things inappropriately? Well, that's, you have to say derive it from Eli, I guess, is the answer. 
uh, right? You want to claim what you want to claim is that the implicit argument is that there's no there's there's no hotzas so it's not a violation of losasun kain or something like this. So what really should be the prohibition? Yeah, uh, I understand the logic, and yet at the same time, what I can tell you is I haven't found anybody who's willing to say it. Right? Everybody talks about right. Everybody talks about Everyone talks about why it's okay to say the kind the kedushas of those, and they don't raise the issues you're raising. They raise the issues of saying it. Shalom Basara. Shalom says it very explicitly. Ain Omrim Ela Basara. I don't have more than that now. Um, okay. Um, I don't see it. Uh, and then the other Kaddish is, uh, is a, whether saying extra Kaddish is a problem, clearly we don't pass in that way. We do it all the time for and the Aruch HaShulchan has this thing, right? It says there are many people who think it's, that it's a mitzvah to be marbe b'kadishim and there's such mistakes. And he uses the rhetoric that Gabe just criticized me for using about saying it, Shalom B'Moka Masara. And I think that just, that's also very hard to sustain because it's, as a Beis Yosef tells you, or, you know, that the Makoras seem to think that you have to say enough kaddishes as opposed to the problem saying too many kaddishes. So there are technical issues. The same way we have to say 100 brachot every day, but the hundred, right? But the hundred brachot all have to be necessary. Okay, that's a um, that's a uh, right. That's that's a fair um, issue. So the only remaining the remaining argument then is though maybe there's a, maybe there still is a way to say um, to say to say kaddish. Um, the way in which you construct, and I see we're running we're we're running late, so I'm going to try and make this argument really briefly. And I'm going to tell you up front, this is a probably a really weak argument. The argument you can make is that um, maybe Kaddish der Abanan is different than all other sorts of Kaddishes. Um, Kaddish der Abanan is the Kaddish you say after learning together. So we know that uh, we, allow, we allow underage people to say it because we say there's no chova. Uh, so there's something different, there's something different um, about it in that regard. Um, Okay, well, here's a Mordechai, by the way, that, um, right, Kol Devar Shavikdusha, right, that's, sorry, I put it again in the current, Kol Devar Shavikdusha lo yehei pachot miyud, right, that seems to be about as clear as you want, right, about Naritzcha v'nakdishcha, v'nakadesh, enom v'pachos miyud, so there's a, there's a Rishon, at least, who, who says it already. Okay, so one idea is that maybe Kadesh Durabanan is somehow a weaker form of Kadesh in terms of um, saying it, because even children can say it. Um, so the relationship to the group, and in fact, there's an oddity that the, that you can say it even. You can say it if you learned, even though the the group the group you're saying it with didn't learn, and maybe uh, right, maybe you maybe you don't even have to learn if the group did learn, right? So there are all sorts of odd things about Kaddish Rabbanan. Now there's the Ramban that we talked about yesterday, in which the Ramban said hypothetically he rejected it this way that the minion for the minion for Zimun is is constructed differently than the minion for davening. The minion for Zimun is constructed, right, it's constructed um, not just by seeing each other, but also by making an advanced declaration that you're going to eat together in the same place. But for davening, um, right, the advanced declaration is not enough, and seeing is not enough. For davening, what right, he says is you need actually need the same physical space. Okay, so the Ramban rejects this, but he sets up the possibility that, the, that you can constitute a minion uh, even for the purposes of saying Dvarim Shepik Dusha, differently in different contexts, that eating together allows one kind of thing and davening requires a second kind of thing. 
Okay, now we already saw that the um, that the Erech HaShulchan suggested the reason that showing your face is sufficient is because that's what brings the Shekhinah down, and that's what the Rosh said, this is a minion bringing Shekhinah down. Uh, when the Ramam says in Kaish Rabbanon that any 10 Jews or additional who are engaged in Talmud Torah Peh, they say, one of them says, Kaddish, this is Kaddish Rabbanon, so the Ramam doesn't mention anything about them having to be in the same place. Now that could just be that he, well, you know, that he wasn't writing down every detail. This is in his review of davening, um, but he doesn't happen to mention the same place. Um, and there is a Mishnah in Avod, of course, that says that and the question is, do those ten people have to be in the same place? And is the kind of shechina resting on them the same kind of shechina? That allows you to say Dvarim Shabikdusha. So the obvious weaknesses of the second claim are the Gemara gets you down to one. Um, but we have another Gemara like this in Makos where the Gemara says 613 Mitzvot, but really the whole purpose is to get down to one. But we still think the number 613 is important. So maybe the uh, maybe maybe the kind of Shechina that rests on 10 or Seik is the same kind of Shechina that rests on 10 who are davening. So we have a problem that the Girsa in that Gemara is on, in that mission is unclear, or the Bartanura has Yoshin Bedin. The Gemara in Brochos um, has a Sarah Shemispalin Dafka, doesn't have a Sarah learning Torah. But the Mishnah in, uh, in Avos, as we have it, and as the old Rishonim had it, except for most of the Rishonim had it, has a Sarah Shemispalin Oskin Batura, and certainly doesn't have a Sarah Shemispalin. Okay. Um, all right, we can look at the Tehemash later. Okay, put all this, um, put all this uh, together. I think, that's all I, I think that's all I need. Um, right now, these are things that will weaken it. It's conceivable you can make an argument as follows, that the minion for Kaddish Durabanan is constituted by learning as opposed to by davening. And maybe a minion that is constituted by learning does not require the same definition of space as, the, um, as a minion for davening. And then maybe you could say that the attempt we made to put together the um, the bracha and the aruch hashulchan about sight plus enough effort, right? So I argue that that's not enough in the case of davening, but it's because davening is a much larger requirement of space, um, right? A much more powerful requirement of space, and maybe you could say that the idea that fundamentally is the learning that creates hashrat shchina as opposed to the gathering, plus an idea that you can. Um, the idea that you might be able to gather by seeing each other um, in a minion context as well if there were some kind of core. Maybe you could put those together to say that Dafka, that a group that learned together, could say Kadesh Drabanan via Zoom in a context, and only in a context, where gathering physically is forbidden by the government, so you cannot say that their failure to gather physically in any way reflects a failure in their desire to constitute themselves as a learning group. So that seemed to me to be the way that if one wanted to construct a psaq that would allow people to say Kaddish, but not Kaddish Yatom, but you can allow a Yatom to say Kaddish Rabban, it will drive people to learn um, right, and to see learning as the fundamental expression because you have, I, I would think you have to learn together with the group for this, um, for this purpose. Uh, it seemed to me that that would be a psaq that had very little risk of being extended to future cases. And even if it did, if people end up saying Kaddish Yatom after learning together, 
and you could even set the minimum shear of learning together, which is larger than the minimum shear that we have ordinarily. And he put that together with the notion that it's, that it's an extreme shasatchak. And so maybe we even change definitions and we have a very, but even if we don't say we change definitions, we're saying that the specific circumstances of inability to get together is what enables us to expand the definition. So it seemed to me, uh, this is what I told uh, Rabbi Newworth when he presented this to me, it seemed to me that if this is a good policy idea, that the argument is tenable. That leaves open the question of whether it's a good policy idea to allow people to say Kaddish this way or it's a terrible policy idea. Um, and I honestly am still not sure uh, about that. Uh, I really don't know really don't know if it's a good policy idea or not. My inclination is that um, it might be in specific, uh, it might be in specific circumstances that it does uh, and, uh, and does not. I'm not addressing the question of who counts the minion. I don't think you could change, I don't think you could change that. Um, I think that one of the issues people have talked out with Zuminyanim is like, what would it mean to have a mechitza with Zuminyanim? And right, and Dafka, the whole point is for people to see each other, right? All sorts of fun issues you could raise about this that might be another, another complicating factor. Um, but my inclination is that if there were a person who is really torn up about not saying Kaddish, and it's particularly there's a person who is facing the prospect of not getting to say Kaddish during Avelos at all, that if I were asked whether they could constitute a Zoom minion that would learn together seriously and then say Kaddish after that minion, that I would think that that is a, uh, that is a viable possibility with all the grantings that this is a, um, that this is a very difficult sock, but it's an advantage that it's a very difficult sock that I don't think anyone will, um, will seek to apply it uh, when God willing all these, um, all these restrictions end. Okay, that's, um, that's my share and I went over time. But if any of you still want to stay and ask questions, uh, I'm happy to I'm happy to stay and answer questions. Uh, Ron Copper, mm -hmm. um, this is Ari. Uh, I, maybe I missed this, but are, are you familiar with the with the uh, Gemara in in Brachot, um, which uh, talks about Rav Sheshet, um, uh, who was blind, saying the bracha upon seeing the king? Yeah, the Mestel Chachma talks about that. It's an example that when you're not talking about Edus, certainty is sufficient. You don't need sight. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, I guess with respect to your last point, um, uh, uh, with respect to say like a seum, um, uh, and then saying the cottage for, at, at a seum, I guess it seems like this this point may be, may also be relevant, right? About yeah. So Dr. Shore asked the question whether whether this would apply to you know in advance, right? Whether I should talk about seum and more seum and more not. So the question is, for what purpose are you making the are you, are you making the sim? Uh, my inclination is, I would try to say that this is such a shasat chak that you have to give me a, a really powerful reason to rely on it and that the only reason that would be powerful enough would be somebody who is just utterly wrecked by the prospect of not being able to, um, of not being able to say Kaddish for their, for their parents. So you know, that would be my inclination. But you know, once you, when you issue a psaki gets out there, that was my inclination. I think the secondary question is whether the experience of learning Torah online for non-Dorosh purposes, like the answer is, you know, can I, is it a Surah's Mitzvah for a Bechor? So there is also very hard for me to America. I think like the whole, there, the point is, is that you're experiencing the Surah together, not just you learn together. If, you, if you're at the Siam and then you don't eat there and you go home, it's not a Surah's Mitzvah anymore. So it's very hard for me 
to imagine that eating together would constitute a siyam b'choros. And I think that the psak is probably correct, that the better strategy is to give tzaka. But again, you know, I'm laying out the argument. That's my judgment. And other people could use the judge, could exercise their judgment differently about exactly the same case. But my instinct would be to limit this to the one narrow case of somebody who otherwise doesn't get a chance to say Kaddish, and this gives them a chance to say Kaddish. What if you could combine those cases, right? What if, what if you, you were doing a Bechorot and you also had somebody there who didn't have a chance to say Kaddish? Well, they could say Kaddish, for sure. Uh, you, you tell me, is it a contradiction in terms of I say they can, if they can make Kaddish and then they can't eat? Good point. You know, that's a good point. I'd have to address that. Uh, I'd have to address that. But I think, I think what I would argue is that for the Sudat Mitzvah, they have to be eat together as a Chabura, right? That the requirement for Sudat Mitzvah is that they have to be able to bench together. And if they couldn't bench together, which requires a different kind of experience, then it doesn't count as Sudat Mitzvah. So I think I could evade that. Okay. Could I throw something out there that's probably wrong? By all means. Okay. Each of us. Um, so just thinking, so by Chilol Shabbos before Hesia, so the, it's relatively clear in Poskim that if I were to be Mechalol Shabbos before Hesia in front of a Zoom camera where lots of people were watching, so that would qualify as for Hesia and not Biachet. Because what matters over there is what comes from having everyone see me being Mechalal Shabbos, not being Mechalal Shabbos by myself. It's not a matter, it's not a din in the minion, it's a din in the Pearson Shibadavar. Okay, I, I would just say, let's grant that. Okay, that point I think is clear. But now that seems to me. Although, slightly. in that case, I think Zoom would not be enough just because mm-hmm. the rabbis know. So I'm not, not obvious to me, but let's assume that's true. Okay. So. Seems plausible, although far, far less clear, that let's say that someone in front of a, while well, I was live on a web feed, let's say that someone walked up to someone else who was live on a web feed and told them to be over on Navira or to, and try, pulled out a gun and told them to be over in Navira. So it seems plausible that the din over there of Chilah Hashem is that would be nigdar as a Chilah Hashem or Kiddush Hashem Barabi, I'm not biachet. Such that we apply the rules of even Shlobishas Hashemad. It seems, or in other words, all I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say is that by Kiddush Hashem and by Chilah Hashem, it seems plausible that it should go by all the people who are seeing it in effect, regardless of whether they're seeing it actually. And with you now, you want to you move from that kind of kiddush Hashem to this kind of kiddush Hashem. Now, if you think the din of saying kaddish, and whatever mitzvah underlies saying kaddish, is that kaddish is a mitzvah of nikdashi betoch b'nei yisrael of kiddush Hashem barabim. That and the reason you need a minion for kaddish is that lava yachara that kaddish is supposed to be a kiyum in kiddush Hashem barabim. So then, perhaps you can make a case that we should apply the same boundaries for establishing a minion for Kaddish as we would for any other Kaddish Hashem, Be'erabim. So I, yeah, I applaud, and, uh, but I, I will say that I thought of that. Um, and Rabbi Newworth is, is very into the notion that we need Kaddish not for the individual need of the mourner, but because 
we need Kiddush Hashem in the world, and if we prevent anyone from saying Dvarim Shem Kedusha, then there'll be no Kiddush Hashem in the world. So let's at least allow Kaddish Drabanan so that we can have more Kiddush Hashem in the world. Uh, that argument didn't move me in the same way. Uh, I guess I'm not a, I'm not, you know, I guess what I call a realist mystic in that way. Um, that, you know, that I think there are metaphys- that I tend to think of metaphysics as having those kind of concrete consequences. Um, so I didn't go for that. And I think you know, it's a little bit of an argument to say that Kaddish specifically is Kiddush Hashem, but Yudgil Midos aren't. That's also a, that's also a stretch. Um, so I applaud. Uh, I applaud. Um, I don't buy it, but I, but I thank you. But I, you know, but I applaud the suggestion. The words literally are Yiskara of Yiskara. Or Kadosh Kadosh Kadosh. Kadusha, I think, is a better example. I agree. Kadusha is a better foil. That my, I don't hear so much the parallel to Yudgul Midas, but I do hear very much the parallel to Kadusha. So you put it together linearly. Again, I did go through this. I didn't end up in the same place, um, but I don't have a, you know, I don't have a killer argument against it. Uh, you know, we're dealing with, you know, the, 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 the arguments are so stretch are so stretched beyond the boundaries of normal halakha that it's very difficult to figure out what your standard of evaluation are. If I were writing the truva, would I throw it in? I don't know. Uh, if would, the actual Kiddush and Chil Hashem came up, and there was a, would you do you think that would you think that a Chil Hashem in front of a live feed, the Chil Hashem biyachid or barabim? You know, Baruch Hashem, I have not had to deal with that question. I think that there's a there's a chakira involved there as to whether the requirement to sacrifice yourself is solely a function of the impact or is a function of the you know the extent to realize the gravity of the sin. Uh, I, I think that would be. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, again, that's why I brought the analogy of you know that Chil Shabbos b'Farhesia. But if you don't do it in front of uh, you know in front of a rabbi you respect, then you're not in the Chal Hashem Shemayim b'Farhesia anymore. So by the same token, if you have some, you know, if somebody doing something on television isn't quite the same thing as doing it. Right, I don't think it is the same thing as doing it in front of people you respect, uh, particularly it, now. Really now, in reality, television has destroyed our Follow nation. from that. Perhaps but that would lead to more grounds to say, like Rav Eliashev, that you can't get around Yichud with a live feed. Uh, yeah, that's a that is a um, that is a, that that is a very interesting question. You have to ask the same Chakira, whether the issue about Yichud is the presence or knowledge of the other person, what really drives it. Uh, you know, it's a good way of catching me because I do, uh, you know, under pressure allow people to avoid Yichud by, um, well, usually, usually I don't do it just by, um, by cameras. What I tell people to do is to leave their, leave their phones on um, so they can be, you know, so they can be heard. Um, but I, I, I think, that, I don't know that it has to be perfectly consistent, I guess is part of the question. There may be different kinds of presence that are relevant in, um, in that are relevant in different, ki- in different kinds of areas. Uh, I love the questions. Uh, it's not obvious to me it has to be the same, but now, of course, you, you will shake me up when I, when I think about that heter as to whether, you know, do I feel compelled to make television real if, uh, if, I, if I allow people to use electronic means to avoid yichud? It's a good challenge. I don't. Right now, I don't. But I can't deny the, that the challenge is a, is a really good challenge.
Did you read the Shuvah of Asher Weiss that I sent? I did, rapidly. Rapidly. That we should do offline, because the people, people in this year didn't... Uh, didn't well, I'll just say offhand, Rabbi Weiss has a, uh, a Shuvah in which he... Uh, what we talked last time about whether the boundary of the Rishud Harab, that the position that, that it seems everyone agrees to, that even if you think sight is enough to form a to, for, to form a minion across different spaces, that's not true if there's a Rishud Harabim in the middle, Rabbi Weiss has a very narrow definition of Rashid Rabin there, which allows uh, balcony minyanim uh, in stark contrast to Rosh Echter's recent uh, recent sack on the subject, which doesn't allow sight lines, I think, to affect to affect you at all. Um, and uh, I have a lot more sympathy with, with Rabbi Weiss's. I thank thank you for sending it to me. I have a lot more sympathy with Rabbi Weiss's position um, than Rosh Echter's on that one. Um, yeah, I think I would say uh, that's, what I, that's what I would say. I think Rabbi Weiss, I would say Rabbi Weiss, Rabbi Weiss's shuva is excellent. Let's put it that way. From my my first reading, but I was biased to agree with it because I, I think, I think that if when 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 you know that the there's no evidence that balcony minyanim are in any way challenging the future of of halacha or the integrity of the future of halacha, and they're just making and they are an enormous kiddush Hashem in the short run. Um, so I don't really understand the motive for adopting the positions unqualifiedly that say they don't work when it's perfectly clear that according to many positions, they should work. I don't think Ray Weiss is stretching, and I think that he's almost certainly right. According to both, there's room to talk still about whether or not you can have Zoom Zimons and Zoom Shavarbachas. Yeah, I don't... I don't... I think you could Zeman. I think Zeman is clear that you have to, right? That you have to, that you have to, you have to be in the same. You know, you have to be eating in the same place. I can't. I can't. Unless you, I can't. So in, unless you say we don't pass in like the Taz, and you need a something relatively proper shosarabim, or you say that the Chida is coming to argue with the entire din in some fashion, and that since by Zeman Gimel, so Besafik, you say it anyway. So that uh, you could make the argument. I don't have any inclinations to be. Make you about you know, groups that are far apart eating together, and by shavuot so it's clear according to everyone the rishos harabim isn't mafsek for shavuot brachos. That I don't know. I don't know the. I don't know the halacha of shavuot brachos. So I have to look at it. I don't. I don't. I, don't, I, don't, I honestly don't know. I haven't. I haven't, I haven't studied it, and uh, so you can send me the makorot, and I can, uh, and um, I can look at it. I don't. I don't know what the. Uh, I don't know what the dinah kviyos is for shavuot brachos at all. I'd have to look at it and see. Yeah. Okay, terrific. Um, anybody else? Um, maybe just quickly. I guess on 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 Zimun, I, yeah. I think I remember learning uh, uh, in, in Gemara and Brachot um, that if you have three different chaburot uh, of let's say four people, and um, and then one person is excluded from each of the uh, Zimun for some reason by accident, that the three people from the different Chaburot are able to join together for their own Zimun. This, you still have to have you know, some way in which they're in the same space. I mean, that's, about, that's probably talking about, you, know, that, that you have to talk about, you know, there still has to be a way to join them in the same space. They can't be, you know, yeah, I, can't, I can't call it. Yeah. Sorry? I, I, I thought even if, if they weren't eating together, but they happened to all come together in the same place. That's an interesting idea. Um, okay. 
right? So we thought that they, you know, they, had, they were eating in the same space originally, right? So the question is the abstraction, right? But there's no, an outside observer could look at, could look, walk into the room and say, oh, look, there are 10 people eating at the same time in the same place. They just happen to have constituted themselves separately so we can undo that at the end. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, but if they weren't in the same space, it wouldn't count at all. Okay. Um, okay. I'm glad that you know, this was good. We got to full participation. It was much more my imagination, even though I lectured for too much in the middle. Okay, last question. Awesome. Okay, tomorrow uh, I'm scheduled to give the shear on, um, on labor and employment ethics issues um, based on Robert Reese's presentation. And I hope very much that will be the topic of the shear. Um, there's a possibility I'll get distracted by triage. Um, but I hope that not enough to, um, not enough to avoid giving that cheer. So I look forward to seeing everyone here tomorrow, but you should, uh, there's a slight possibility of topic change, which I would put on Facebook if it, if it happens. On yes? the, on the topic that we're supposed to be talking about tomorrow. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to stop recording, but you're welcome to keep sure. asking. Yes. Okay. Um, I saw today I found interesting. It could just be it's obvious, but I hadn't 